Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Francis Watch on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Justin Soder, and this evening I have the great privilege of sharing the company with His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida, as well as Father Anthony Chicada, Assistant Pastor of St. Gertrude the Great Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio. Your Excellency Father, thanks for coming back to the program. Yeah, Happy nice to be here. here again. So we'll get some housekeeping out of the way here real quick, and then we'll jump right into it because we once again have a jam-packed show this evening. Francis Watch is sponsored by Novus Ordo Watch. Are you wondering what has happened to the Roman Catholic Church? Are you confused, shocked, and alarmed at what Francis has been saying? Then log on to NovusOrdoWatch.org for traditional Catholic news and information with insightful commentary and razor-sharp analysis. Since 2002, Novus Ordo Watch has been exposing the Vatican II Church and its false popes by comparing and contrasting their new religion with the true religion, the modernist Novus Ordo teachings with the teachings of the Catholic Church. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org, that's NovusOrdoWatch.org, to see why Francis is not a true pope and how the modernist Vatican II sect differs from the Catholic Church. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org. Restoration Radio programs, including this one, are available on RestorationRadioNetwork.com and are syndicated on iTunes and Stitcher. You can follow the work of True Restoration on various social media channels like Facebook and Twitter. Find us by using the social buttons on TrueRestoration.org. On that site, you'll also find a link to Trad Circle, the social network site founded in 2008 by Father Anthony Chicada and currently moderated by True Restoration staff. One of its original purposes was to enable young people who feel called to marriage to meet like-minded types, but it is also a great and safe place to make new friends and have discussions. People of all ages are welcome. So, Your Excellency and Father, tonight's show is entitled uh, The Bergoglio Consistory Bomb, and, or excuse me, The Bergoglio Consistory Bombshell. And just before, I think it was on February the 20th was our last show, and we talked about the C8 Reform Council and the Consistory, which is coming up. We examined uh, the topics of relativizing the faith through Bergoglio's constant dialogue and denigrating the, the systematic exposition of doctrine, promoting his faith as encounters with Jesus notion. Uh, we, we talked about Cardinal Meridiaga, uh, who shot down the CDF head Mueller, and uh, as well as him floating all kinds of ideas that would allow communion for the divorce and remarriage. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with who Cardinal Meridiaga is, let me play a clip from the last episode to identify him for you, uh, courtesy of Father Chicada. Well, one thing you have to say is, um, Meridiaga, first of all, is not just a um, some cardinal who has uh, floated over to Rome on a banana boat from South America, <laughs> but actually he is, he is the... I think that was politically incorrect. Uh, actually, he is the top banana of the C8 group of cardinals. And uh, so he has been going around the world, uh, in effect, floating uh, these different ideas. So, Father, we're going to talk more about Cardinal Meridiaga tonight. So, was, was that intended um, by Stephen to get maybe this, the sponsorship of Chiquita Banana? Uh, here, yeah, perhaps Chiquita instead of Chicada as a feature. Indeed. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna be speaking a lot more about him this evening because his his name is back in the news, and uh, just all kinds of topics here. So this is uh, this is gonna be a jam packed show. I mean, I think all of us are having a hard time keeping up with all this news. So the the first story we have on deck for this evening is. Uh, are the ones coming out of the consistory in Rome on the 22nd of February. And there, are, there are really a copious amount of storylines that have emerged from the consistory, and not the least of which 
is Cardinal Walter Casper's speech given at the consistory? At the consistory. Now, let it also be noted that a lot of these topics we actually discussed on last month's episode of Francis Watch, where Bishop Sanborn very astutely predicted exactly what he thought would be coming down the pike on the subjects of marriage and divorce, and how annulments would be outsourced from Rome to the confessional. So, let's go ahead and start off here with the actual bombshell speech. So, uh, Father, Your Excellency, who wants to take this first? Well, um, the, uh, during the uh, consistory, the theme was supposed to be uh, preparation for the October Synod on the Family. The keynote speaker was Cardinal Walter Casper. Now, Casper is a um, uh, favorite theologian of uh, Francis of Bergoglio. Uh, in fact, uh, a uh, commentator for um, the Catholic newspaper in England, uh, the Tablet, said that he's the, the favorite uh, theologian of the pontificate. So, uh, and, and in fact, uh, so much so that I think in the second or third day after Bergoglio's election, he actually recommended a book that Casper uh, had written. So Casper gave uh, the keynote speech on the question of the family and uh, the uh, ideas that he wanted to get across generally about the family, but the uh, section... Uh, the last section, the fifth section of the speech, um, was the one that was the most controversial because uh, it deals with the question of sacraments for those who are divorced and remarried. Now, that was something that has uh, been consistently forbidden in uh, the Church, but uh, it, it was an idea that Bergoglio very much had on his mind. He spoke about it in uh, the interview that he gave on the, the plane coming back from World Youth Day, uh, and speculating that perhaps there could be a way to give these people who are who were validly married before, uh, who are divorced and who are living in a second marriage, way of giving them sacraments. So Casper was uh, trotted out to give a uh, speech on this, and in effect to come up with a justification for doing what Bergoglio wanted to do. Basically, uh, it boiled down to uh, two proposals. Uh, on the one hand, Casper um, proposed, in effect, allowing the parish clergy to annul marriage. He said that some of the divorced and remarried are subjectively convinced uh, that their previous marriage was irreparably broken. In many cases, their local priest was convinced of this, and he went on to say that rather than having this decided uh, perhaps by a tribunal, uh, perhaps this can be left to a lower level. And this would be uh, very much in uh, line with a, a speech, actually, that uh, Francis gave to the Supreme um, Marriage Court, Vatican Mar Marriage Court, earlier. So that was the first proposal. You let uh, Father Chuck in the uh, parish essentially uh, decide whether or not the first marriage was valid. As far as uh, the second proposal, uh, this one, uh, Casper, based on a 1972 article by Ratzinger, the idea here was that, well, you make the second marriage a somewhat penitential marriage, uh, provided you meet, uh, uh, meet certain uh, criteria, and I guess you, you undergo a little period of penance, 
and uh, then um, thereafter, you are uh, allowed to receive the sacraments. So this was the second uh, proposal, and uh, cleverly put because, of course, he invoked Ratzinger, who is still popular uh, in the uh, conservative wing of the Novus Ordo Church. So those were the, the two proposals that Casper came up with. Now, yes, and both of them are ridiculous also. and against the faith. <laughs> well, uh, you know, Father, we came up with here with two quotes from this document that um, the Ratzinger wrote in 1972. This is actually courtesy of Novus Ordo Watch. They sent this over just before the show aired. And these are the two things that, uh, that Ratzinger had to say in 1972. The first one is this, quote, where a marriage first broke up a long time ago, and in a mutually irreparable way, and where conversely a marriage consequently entered into has proven itself over a longer period as a moral reality and has been filled with the spirit of the faith, especially in the education of the children, the possibility should be granted in a non-judicial way based on the testimony of the pastor and church members for the admission to communion of those, in, those who live in such a second marriage. And the second quote here from the same document is this, the requirement that a second marriage has proven itself over a long time as a moral greatness and have been lived in the spirit of the faith in fact corresponds to the type of forbearance that is palpable in Basel, where after a long penance, communion is granted to the one living in a second marriage without terminating the second marriage. Now, okay, Your Excellency, let me ask you this question. Let's talk about the red meat in those two quotes. Ratzinger explicitly quoted that in a second marriage, meaning someone who has divorced and remarried, that it can prove itself over a long period to be a moral reality. And then he reasserts the point and further says, over a long time, a second marriage can become a moral greatness. So just what does a long time have to do with the effect of morality? Well, it is true that many times people who get divorced and remarry are more happily non-married, uh, let's, put, let's put married in quotation marks, in their second false marriage than they were in their true marriage. That is true. That's my experience. That they sort of have learned a, a lesson and they, they choose spouses that are more compatible. But that has absolutely nothing to do uh, with the indissolubility of marriage. The fact that two people get along very nicely has absolutely nothing to do with the indissolubility of marriage. The first marriage is a contract made before God, which, as St. Paul says, is an imitation of the sacred relationship that exists between Christ and the Church. And that cannot be broken any more than the sacred relation between Christ and the Church can be broken. It is a sacramental marriage. First of all, marriage by the natural law is indissoluble, but also by the supernatural law is indissoluble. And therefore, the Catholic Church has always had the, the uh, practice of uh, telling people who are in bad marriages and who are separated that they can never marry again and that they are still married to their spouses from whom they have been separated and they have to conduct themselves as married persons. That has always been said. It is the history of the Church. This attempt is a another aspect of Vatican II. Vatican II wants to draw all of the disaffected back to the 
quote-unquote Catholic religion. So it's looking to fill up the churches in Europe, which are basically empty right now, with these divorced and remarried people. Well, if you can come back and receive communion, you'll be a nice, good Catholic, and then we'll have something in the collection basket. And the, or just, you know, just to build up the quote-unquote the life of the church. And so they're willing to, uh, to throw out the window, throw in the trash, the, the sacred doctrine concerning the indissolubility of marriage, which is based in sacred scripture itself, words of our Lord and St. Paul, explicit words. This is getting really hardcore uh, that uh, they would be willing even to discuss such a thing. So the, that's, that's the first thing that needs to be said about this, that parish clergy annul marriages is... <sighs> I mean, it used to have to be reviewed by Rome, and uh, I mean, it, it, the marriage is something that regards the entire church. So you can't be married in one parish and not married in the next because the the pastor of one parish doesn't think you you've got an annulment. It's something that regards the entire church, and therefore has to be judged at a high level. And uh, I mean, it's just absurd. Who, what parish priest is qualified? to decide concerning a marriage. It has to go to trial. There has to be witnesses. I mean, how? It's, it's just an absurdity. So, I mean, let's pull away the mask. This is a, a rather, you know, bold attempt, and at the same time stupid, uh, of, of trying to uh, provide for Catholic divorce and remarriage. That's all it is. Let's face it. Let's call it what it is. Uh, One thing that I would... Go ahead. One thing I would add, Your Excellency, that uh, I see in it, that I see in the quotes from Ratzinger, is uh, poking its head out, is the uh, modernist consequentialist uh, morality. That uh, uh, the idea is that, well, um, we had a problem in the first marriage, but now we are able to achieve this moral greatness in uh, the second marriage, and we weigh the indissolubility indissolubility of, of uh, the bond uh, against um, the current situation which we have now, the consequences of which uh, seem uh, on the surface to be very good, and uh, then we, uh, we choose the second, uh, the second consequence, the second option. And mm-hmm. that's how the uh, moral system uh, of consequentialist morality operates, and that's something that we see time and time and time again, and it's the product of the uh, modernism of the '60s, and it's obviously it's still around. I think Ratzinger wrote this when he was still a radical theologian. Mm-hmm. When he became the uh, Archbishop of Munich, he he went through his metamorphosis and decided that he was going to at least have a, a conservative shell. Uh, but I think this is when he was bolder, 1972. Uh, I don't think he would have said this when, you know, after his Munich conversion. So, mm-hmm. uh, so that, that you know, he, so uh, so the uh, and then the penitential marriages that he's referring to uh, is a, a complete misapplication of the ancient the discipline of the church. There, there was a discipline at a certain point where, in some places, where you could not marry a second time if you had been widowed, and and so therefore the uh, there, there was a this 
this legislation concerning second marriage because it was against the law of the church in a certain cases to get married a second time in certain localities and so forth. And, and uh, so that's all it concerns. It has nothing to do with what they want it to be, and that is some sort of primeval uh, approval of adultery against the explicit statements of our Lord Jesus Christ and St. Paul concerning marriage. Now, Casper uh, made appeals supposedly to the ancient discipline of the Church when he made this speech. And um, when I first read it, I thought, come on, you know, this is where did this stuff come from? Uh, you know, I never heard such a thing. Well, uh, it turned out that uh, this uh, Professor Di Mattei, uh, uh, an Italian conservative commentator who's been very critical of some things in the Bergoglio, uh, the Bergoglio circus, uh, pointed out that uh, this idea was debunked a long time ago. That that um, uh, during the first five centuries, he quoted a study that said, during the first five centuries of the Christian era, no decree by a council or any declaration by a father of the church which sustains the possibility of the matrimonial bond can be found. And then uh, he goes on to say, in every part of the world the church regarded the dissolving of the marriage bond as impossible, and uh, uh, divorce with the right to a second marriage was completely unknown. So uh, the um, uh, Casper uh, reheated uh, an uh, argument that was refuted a long time ago, and as one which which common sense would tell you uh, wouldn't hold any water. Otherwise, we would have heard about it long before now. Yeah, well, Father, I think you're just being true. black and white. You know, you know, Casper says life isn't black and white in the same speech. I think you, you know, all you players love to paint things as black and white, but you know, life yeah. isn't black and white. Doesn't 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 Cardinal Casper have a point there? <laughs> Certainly not in his system. <laughs> uh, well, I think it, it, it is symptomatic of the disease of the of the age, and that is that there is nothing true except that there is nothing true. <laughs> that it is pure skepticism. Everything is is subjected to subjectivism. There is no objective reality or truth about anything, and all of it has to be torn down. Like any vestiges of objective morality or of objective dogma have to be torn down, and this this so-called pontificate is going to do it. Mm. I think it's a good time to circle back around for just one second, Your Excellency, to something you said 30 days ago, and I'm, I'm playing this for the benefit of our listeners because uh, the, the speech hadn't happened yet regarding this idea of having confessional marriage annulments, and this was your prediction 30 days ago. They're going to go in and say, well, the few that do, I mean... Uh, those are empty closets, most of those uh, reconciliation rooms and all. I mean, nobody goes in them, and they're useful for brooms and other things. For the few people that are going to bother to go in, the priest is going to ask them, are you in good conscience about your failed marriage and your new spouse? And the person will say, yes, I'm in good conscience. Then it'll be go in peace. Uh, this, though, is what one can see. Uh, what one can see happen, there will be some sort of formulation or directive that will allow this. There will be the hope that this will uh, maintain the fiction that we're still uh, adhering to the divine law. You know, uh, whom God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. 
but uh, it will simply be maintaining a fiction because in, in practice it will be gone. Well, there you have it. You're at Tulsi 30 days ago. Uh, you should start playing the lottery because that was uh, you know, it's almost like you know what you're talking about there. <laughs> we should reward him with something, maybe some Chiquita bananas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Banana split, maybe, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you called it very clearly. You know, there it is. You know, you're going to reduce it down to this, uh, uh, you know, do you feel guilty about, you know, your failed marriage? Yes, I do. Okay, go in peace. I mean, I, I think that's exactly what Casper's lining out here, and he hadn't even said it. You called it. Well, this is what they have been doing since the 1960s with regard to artificial birth control. And I think I pointed out in the last one, too, that artificial birth control tends to be a little bit more private. And so it can be done better in the confessional in that exact same way. Are you in good conscience about this? And so the pill is taken uh, with the blessing of the priest. This is a public thing. Uh, marriage is public by its very nature. And so this will uh, involve uh, getting over another hurdle and getting over a few uh, people who are a little reticent about it. But they will all cave in. And no matter what anyone says, no matter you know, who raises an objection, they will all cave in. I will predict that. On the uh, correlation between this and and, uh, birth control, uh, I would say that this this speech and the the points made in this particular speech are a question of really uh, letting the horse out of the stable, as it were. Once people hear stuff like this, uh, you can bet that it's going to be applied in the practical order. There will be priests who will start doing this. Uh, who who will um, in the confessional will uh, appeal to uh, people's conscience, and uh, if if they're faced with a uh, divorce and remarriage, so it's 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 going to start all over just as it did with uh, contraception. That there was a period where uh, there was supposedly a question of how the Pope would rule on whether or not the pill was acceptable. And uh, during those uh, two or three years, uh, that's when uh, the justification for it, uh, in terms of following your own conscience, that's, that's when that, that spread and really went forward. So I think we're going to see the same thing with this. It would be something like setting up a commission to study where, whether there are four persons or only three in the Trinity. It puts the thing in doubt right away. It makes it a, a something that really pertains to faith, uh, a question of doubt. It's something that uh, deserves discussion. Uh, and it has all of its damage. It, it, it does tremendous damage. Uh, it is, uh, the pill was clearly artificial birth control and came under the condemnation that Pius XI gave to it. Clearly it was. Mm-hmm. But yes, when you bring it up for question, we're going to look into it. And uh, Bergoglio said that about uh, cohabitation, various forms of cohabitation. We have to look into it, you see, and each case is different. That immediately destroys the principle. Uh, it's something like what Ratzinger did a few years ago where he said that uh, male prostitutes can use uh, condoms. And then a few days later, when there was a lot of controversy, well, female prostitutes can use them too. So, you know, as I said at the time, well, do you have to be a card-carrying prostitute in order to qualify 
for the this exemption to use artificial birth control. Why? What? What qualifies you for this? How do you? How do you? You know, what sort of thing? Is there a union or something uh, that you have to belong to? Uh, and what that does, that, that that concession that he made to the male and female prostitutes to do that, it, it destroys the whole principle. The whole principle of artificial birth control uh, is something universal. That is, it's it's intrinsically evil. It can never be done for any reason, even to save your own life or the life of another person. It's intrinsically evil. If you make one exception to that, you destroy everything. The whole building crashes down, and that's what ha- what Ratzinger did to the use of condoms. And now this is uh, this is being done to the to communion to uh, or adultery. Now we're going to have people living in adultery and, and uh, approaching the so-called communion rail, which doesn't exist anymore. But getting <laughs> getting the Novus Ordo uh, communion wafer. Uh, that's what that's what we're talking about here. But what what is what is more important is that they, in the, supposedly in the name of Catholicism, will put a blessing upon adultery. That's that's the outcome of this whole thing, and all of the Novus Ordo conservatives will cave in on it and say nothing has changed and everything is all right. Well, that takes us uh, to some objections that were raised. This is interesting. Uh, from the period of uh, February the 21st until this evening, there had been a litany of objections. And the first one to step up and say something was the Novus Ordo Cardinal Archbishop of the Diocese of Galveston, Houston, in Texas here in the United States, uh, Daniel DiNardo, who essentially was pleading the case of the African bishops, and he said that this speech by Casper and this new thought process, which he's laying out for divorce and remarriage, undermines the bishops in Africa who are condemning the common practice of polygamy. And this is, this is what he had to say, quote, If you try something with this, it's going to hurt us on polygamy. They've been telling people that if you come into the church, you've got to choose one wife, Donardo said. Quote, If you suddenly change that, couldn't people in polygamous marriages say, Can't you give me a break too? So, so it seems to me like what you have here is a little of what's good for the goose is good for the gander. You know, the consequences, you know, they'll say, hey, you know, someone can have two wives, why can't I have four? Well, that's perfectly true. If, yes, if, if you can have two, why not have four? I mean, where do you stop the, the process of giving communion? And how much adultery, you know, how many wives can you have? Yeah, where's the limit? Really, is it, yeah. Is yeah, it like a six-pack or something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I think custom. even the Muslims have a uh, have a limit on how many wives you can have. I think they do. Uh, and uh, but you know, it, sure that logic is there. But really, that that comment is sort of a sociological comment. Th- there should be outrage that the words of Jesus Christ have been blasphemously contradicted in the halls of the Vatican. That's what should be said. And that the words of St. Paul condemning uh, adultery uh, uh, have been blasphemously contradicted. Not that the Nigerians or the Africans might think, you know, that this will... That, that is off the point. Because, yes, it is polygamy. The answer to that question is, yes, it is polygamy. <laughs> there you go. You can... You know, we're at we're least, back. At least we're polygamy... Back. Polygamy actually is not as bad as adultery in this sense. 
that to abandon the first wife, who is the real wife or the real spouse, and repudiate her as your spouse, and to marry a second, is not a, is worse than saying, "Well, I have many wives." David had many wives. The the it is considered to be against the, the secondary aspects of the natural law. But to, to commit adultery is against the primary aspect of, of the natural law. And, and so, I mean, it's, uh, they, <laughs> we might say that, that you know, polygamy is small potatoes in comparison to, uh, to Europeans uh, living in, in uh, open adultery and receiving the Novus Ordo communion wafer. Again, it's the consequentialist thing. That, that um, uh, you know, you correctly pointed out, Your Excellency, that it's it's he's uh, uh, the objection seems to be from a um, like a social uh, sociological point of view rather than a um, uh, anything in terms of uh, principle. Yes. Yes. And uh, that, as as I uh, read in another statement by this Cardinal Kafar, the Archbishop of Bologna, uh, at least here he speaks about it. Um, in terms of uh, consequences, again, uh, it is therefore uh, an extramarital exercise uh, of human sexuality that the Church legitimizes, but with this, the foundational pillar of the Church's doctrine on sexuality is negated. Yes. It, I mean, it's so simple. Just look up the Scriptures. Yeah. I, it's uh, so simple. It's wrong. Thou shalt not well, commit adultery. <laughs> so you're just you're just, you're just being too black and white here. I mean, you know, Cardinal Catholic disapproves of your thought process. Uh, for those of you, but that's why I say you, they will cave in. They will oh, cave absolutely. in because that's the way they see it. Well, you know, this is a this is troublesome and bothersome to us, and they will cave in. What they should have done was rip their garments when he said it mm, and cried out blasphemy. That's what they should have done. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Well, for those people, Gamarelli would have been very happy. They would have had all kinds of business. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, me, let me get a show bumper in here real quick, Your Excellency. Uh, for those of you who are just joining us, you're listening to Francis Washington Restoration Radio Network, episode number three, the Bergoglio Consistory Bombshell. I'm your host, Justin Soder, and this evening I'm joined by His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn and Father Anthony Chicada. And this evening, uh, we have a phone call here, Your Excellency and Father, as a gentleman on the line here who, his brother is a Novus Ordo priest, and he has a few things to say about annulments. Uh, go ahead, caller. Uh, good evening, Your Excellency and Father. Thank you for taking my call. Um, yes. Uh, uh, as uh, the host was saying, I have a brother who is a newly ordained Novus Ordo priest. And he is a quote-unquote conservative Novus Ordo priest. And I'm a Sede Vacantis, so we were arguing about the about how liberal the Novus Ordo Church is with annulments. And um, he told me something that was surprising um, to justify why the Church should grant so many annulments and allow for remarriage. And I don't think this is just his opinion. I get the impression that this is what other Novus Ordo priests are saying behind closed doors, even the the more conservative ones. And he told me that he thinks that more than half of 
the Novus Ordo marriages that are taking place today are invalid. One, because uh, the, the couple doesn't really understand the true nature of marriage. They're so, they're so imbued with a, a secular notion of marriage rather than the Catholic, the proper Catholic understanding of it. And two, that many of them uh, go into it already planning on practicing uh, birth control, which would invalidate it. And I'm just wondering how you would respond to that as a justification for granting annulments uh, those two those two reasons, one, that they don't have a proper Catholic understanding, even though they're going to the pre-Cana classes, and two, that, uh, that they intend to practice artificial contraception. Well, first, if they don't have a Catholic understanding of it, uh, that's because the priests don't have a Catholic understanding of it, and they don't preach it from the pulpit. If you look at the old books, uh, of uh, like a syllabus of what to preach from the pulpit, it, was, it went all through the sacraments and it went through marriage and the indissolubility of marriage. Uh, it, it means that they have not been instructed, even from the time they were children, in the basics of the catechism, and that falls right on the priests. Uh, the, what would invalidate the marriage is if they really intended to not have a permanent union. They would have to explicitly intend basically to live together in some sort of a civil union. Uh, that, yeah, that, that would invalidate the marriage. However, to prove that is very difficult because you have to go to court, you have to have witnesses uh, who testify that, yes, you said this, I do not intend a permanent union, that this is, I don't consider this an indissoluble marriage, and and then a, an ecclesiastical court will hand down a decision based on that. Uh, so, you know, for it becomes absurd when some priest is going to say that in the confessional or, or while he's standing out in the front of the church. Uh, that That's just an absurdity. Uh, but you would have to be very explicit about excluding that. And most people are not explicit about it. They, It's right in their formula of marriage, until death do we part, or they have some equivalent of that, uh, we're going to, this is forever. Uh, it, I mean, even in the Novus Ordo, there, there is the idea that this is a permanent union. They, most of them go through the, the Cana conferences, pre-Cana and all that. Uh, you know, to to have the this vast number of people who don't know what they're getting into is to me absurd. Uh, it, uh, the, the because the even the Novus Ordo catechism and, and Novus Ordo teaching is that this is a permanent union. So you know, where that that might be able to happen in, in some you know isolated cases, and that would have to go to court. Uh, the second, the the uh, business of birth control, it is true that to uh, exclude or limit the uh, the having of children uh, in in marriage would invalidate it, but not the mutual agreement to practice birth control. You see, the, the two people could say, we will not engage in sexual intercourse for five years, by mutual consent, in order to avoid having children, they could say that. They could do that by mutual consent. There is no injustice there. That would not invalidate the marriage. The simple idea of sinning—not uh, that it's right or anything—but that we're, we're mutually consenting to sin. 
uh, in order to prevent uh, conception does not invalidate the marriage because that does not exclude or limit the right to have children, which is which is essential to the marriage. It's simply a a, a collusion uh, to sin together. That's all. So the, the, he's wrong about that. Uh, you know, the 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 idea of uh, a, a collusion or an agreement to abuse marriage does not invalidate the marriage. Thank you, Excellency. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you for the phone call. We appreciate that. Um, Excellency, let's go ahead and move on here. We have, um, we have some more objections here, and the next one is from Cardinal Burke. Uh, now, let's, let's also say some Cardinal about this who? real quick. Yes, Cardinal Burke, Raymond Burke. Oh, the, Burke. Uh, okay. Yes, you have to have the apostolic signature. Now, you know, let's make one thing clear. No one likes Burke in Rome. I mean, he is a holdover from the past who's out of touch. I mean, this is a guy who still wears the cast and surplus and choir while the rest of him around, you know, are wearing no sort of horse blankets. And this is, uh, this is one of those people who Bergoglio would say has a sourpuss theology and worries about stuff like doctrinal truth. So let's see what this Neo-Pelagian creed reciting parrot Christian thoughts are on Casper's statement. He says... Probably says the rosary, Tom. Burke, Burke says here, quote, it must be clear that the annulment process is not a mere matter of procedure, but that the process is essentially connected with the doctrinal truth of the church. Discussions on the matter are creating a great deal of potential disillusionment that somehow we can withhold the truth about marriage. We are talking about the very words of Christ himself in the gospel in which he taught the indissolubility of marriage. Well, 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 doctrinal truth. Obviously, Burke is marching to a different beat of the current yeah, beat of a different drummer. And, I mean, I'm waiting here to see a Cardinal Ottaviani moment here with Burke where he gets his microphone disconnected. <laughs> oh, no, no. He, he is the show dinosaur of the Nova Yes. Cardinal. You know, he is the, 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 the dinosaur fixture in the Nova Sordo, and he's there for a reason. You're, you are talking about, I mean, what world is he living in? This country has been giving out Fifty over fifty thousand annulments a year for about the past thirty years. I mean, what world is he living in? He's an American too. Yes, he is. You know, it, for him to say, "Well, you know, the annulment process is based on truth," and all. I mean, it has been a joke, a joke for the past thirty years, at least. Uh, even before that, by the late seventies, it was it had become a joke. Uh, and so for him to say that, you know, it just shows that he's living in some sort of a dream world, like a wishful thinking world, in which there is still a, a, a Catholic hierarchy that is observing Catholic dogma concerning marriage. It is an absurdity, and therefore his comment is absurd. It, it's, it's like he has dementia or something, or he's living, you know, in 1954, you know, it's so. You know, I, I just can't take it seriously. Well, no one else does. That's you know, that, that's for sure. <laughs> you know, we, you know, we had another, we had another um, story here. I think this was on, uh, this was on Rorate Chelli on, um, I think it was on the 14th of March here, where it said that we have, uh, we have a whole group of cardinals here coming out. We have you know, Tafara, Mueller, Brand Mueller, Baganasco, Ray Torin, Scola, Ruini, and. Carl Marini was very, very critical. He said, that, quote, I don't know if I understood uh, Casper's speech very well, but at this moment about 85% of the cardinals have expressed opinions apparently contrary to the layout of Casper's report. 
So 85%, your Excellency, I'm going to play the devil's advocate here real quick. So, you know, we have 85%, apparently, of the quote-unquote cardinals who are against this. Now, the conservative, the conservative Novus Ordos would say, hey, this is great. You know, we have 85% objection. And what's the problem here, your Excellency? You know, can't you acknowledge that 85% are, you know, are against this? Well, first I would say Marini puts his whole comment in doubt by saying, I don't know if I understood Casper or not. Casper was very clear. All you had to do was read his speech. So if he didn't understand him, his Italian, and it would seem like somebody by the name of Marini should understand the Italian in the conclave, you could have read it in Italian the next day in the newspaper, as I did. And it was as clear as anything what Casper was saying. He was talking about adultery. A-D-U-L-T-E-R-Y. <laughs> so for him to say, I mean, how can you, I don't know if I understood Casper. I mean, that already puts him in a category of being you know, somebody out of contact with reality. How can we take seriously what he says about those other cardinals? Well, I, I think uh, I read the uh, read the eighty five percent a little bit differently. Um, uh, I read it that uh, what he meant was eighty five percent of the, those who had gotten up to speak on the topic uh, objected to it, um, which um, or, or made negative comments about it at least, uh, which would seem to uh, I mean that would be something he'd be able to uh, tell I suppose. Uh, the interesting thing is that there is some pushback on it uh, from uh, uh, from some of the older cardinals, but uh, you know that's uh, I don't see anyone leading a revolt. No, they will all cave in. This is just sort of uh, jitters and sweats and things like that. You know, it's like oh my goodness, here's another another uh, chasm we have to cross. And uh, you know, when this goes down, this is a, another tower of the church coming crashing down. That's all. It's just a, a, a lament, lamentation more than an ob- objection. Because it is so bad that the only proper response to it is something equally bad. And that is that this, as I said, is, is heresy, it's blasphemy, it's contrary to sacred scripture. I had a, a Novus Ordo priest say to me the other day, are they going to just completely ignore what our Lord said in sacred scripture? That's what he said to me. I said, apparently they are. I mean, this is an ordinary priest in the Novus Ordo. And, and, you know, he can figure it out. That's the only proper response to this. So that's why I say, mark my words, they will all cave in. They will all cave in. Well, lest anyone you can think play that on the next a, show. <laughs> yes, I will. <laughs> you know, lest anybody here think that this this commotion of objection and concern, you know, about the Casper theory is going to gain any steam. We have Bergoglio weighing in the very next day, praising Casper and letting everybody know that the Casper train is leaving the station and that they should be on board with the man who Bergoglio describes as the theologian of his pontificate. This is, this is what Bergoglio had to say about Casper's speech, or what we call the Casper theorem here. Quote, Yesterday, I read, or rather reread, the work of Cardinal Casper, and I would like to thank him because I, because I found profound theology and even serene thinking in theology. 
It is pleasant to read serene theology. And I also found what St. Ignatius told us about the Sentence Ecclesiae, love for Mother Church. It did me good, and an idea came to me. Excuse me, Eminence, if I embarrass you, but the idea is that this is called doing theology on one's needs. Thank you. Thank you. Unquote. <laughs> doing theology on one's knees. Uh, <laughs> I, I could, well, maybe I'll refrain from comment on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Father, well, the, Father, the, you, the, Father, you're not allowed to touch this. You're not allowed to touch this. <laughs> the, the really interesting thing about this is that Bergoglio had um, apparently these reactions, cardinals speaking against uh, these proposals, and then he's laying the law down the next day. Now, when I first read that quote um, uh, about census ecclesia and profound theology, uh, the word of, of, of the objections uh, hadn't managed to leak out yet. But obviously, he's he's telling them it's it's uh, time to time to get on board. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, it, you can see it's part of his agenda. The fact that he would bring it up on that plane coming back from Rio, uh, it, it shows that this is on his mind. And he seems to be a very determined person, uh, a person who pursues his agenda very efficaciously. Yes, yeah, we, uh, so, definitely. Yes, and he knows they will cave in too. He knows that. Well, the, the, um, go ahead, Bob. Uh, there's a, uh, another quote uh, the same day uh, that uh, uh, Bergoglio uh, praised the Casper speech. Another interview um, was published, and, and here's the quote from him. Uh, the question is not that of changing the doctrine, but to go deep and ensure that pastoral care takes into account situations and what is possible for people. This must be done thoughtfully and without falling into casuistry, because this would inevitably diminish the quality of our work. So again, it's, it's, uh, uh, he's determined to reinforce that idea that this is what we're going to do, and everyone better go along with it. Yes, and at the same time, maintain the facade of Catholic doctrine. Yeah. That on the one hand, oh, it's indissoluble, and so all of the Novus Ordo conservatives nod their heads, yes, the Holy Father is protecting doctrine. And then in the pastoral world, that is in the day-to-day dealings with the faithful, they will uh, permit them to remain in adultery and to receive the sacraments, thereby approving of adultery. Uh, and so that's his solution. So he, he's got the best of both worlds. He, he, he can get up and say, I've not changed anything. And at the same time, everything has changed. And uh, that, that's, you can see it, uh, the, uh, that the substitution of the pastoral, that there's a difference between the pastoral and the doctrinal. That the pastoral is another world that operates by other principles. And again, the same trick uh, as with birth control. Absolutely yes. the same mm-hmm. thing that they did. Mm-hmm. This is as old as the 1960s. I mean, this is like the flower children. This is as old as, as uh, Volkswagen buses and whatnot. Yeah. The, it's just that it is coming out of the closet, so to speak, because, because birth control is something private. This is just the same principle coming out of the closet. These Novus Ordo priests uh, and, and bishops and all have been doing this for decades. <clears throat> 
Well, then we have so this this really is more more or less Bergoglio doubling down on his critics you know, in the consistory. You know, he's telling them, hey, get on board, this is how it's going to be, and I really don't care what you have to say about this. Yes, so he, he's, uh, he has an agenda, he's going to pursue it. Mm-hmm. The other interesting well, thing that I came across, uh, in fact, I just noticed it today, when you put the sequence together of uh, what happened, the speech was delivered, then Bergoglio reinforces it with two uh, quotes the next day. The uh, speech of Casper was not really supposed to be published. Uh, it was uh, uh, delivered you know, under wraps and, and secret uh, and so on. But I wonder if it was ghost-written. Uh, well, uh, like, you know, Casper the Friendly Ghost. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead. no I think that's a cultural illusion. That, 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 yeah, that, that lost on another pretty, generation. I, I think, uh, yeah. But <laughs> the... Um, uh, uh, but it, it, it ended up in... Uh, it ended up published... And the, the uh, account that I read of its publication today said that uh, it was from La Stampa, and it said that it, it was uh, uh, published uh, because the decision came from the top that it was opportune to publish it. So in other words, um, it ended up in the press because uh, Bergoglio wanted it uh, diffused throughout the world and uh, 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 to show to the objectors that this is, in fact, his program. Yes, also to put down the objections to it and to to gather popular support for it so that the objectors are, are you know lose their the the ground under them uh and will just keep quiet. Mm-hmm. Uh, that certainly was uh, I'm sure the case. That's what they did at the council. Anybody that objected to anything at the council was in some way ruined or or vilified. Um, you know, uh, like Cardinal Taviani when they cut off the, the microphone and everyone mm-hmm. cheered. I mean, the whole spirit of it is one of uh, forcing an issue down everybody's throats. If you don't like it, you're bad. Well, now we now we move on here to a um, an article in National Catholic Reporter that was on the 11th of March where Casper is essentially on the apologetic tour now and is saying, well, I am going to propose to maintain but yet reinterpret doctrine. And like I said, this is a, this is, this is a National Catholic Reporter article. And it says here, um, in its approach to divorced and civilly remarried Catholics, the Catholic Church needs to find a middle ground that does not destroy or abandon doctrine but offers a renewed interpretation of church teaching in order to help those whose marriages have failed, Cardinal Walter Casper said, quote, I propose a path that goes beyond strictness and leniency. An approach that avoids two extremes isn't against morality. It isn't against doctrine, but rather is meant to support a realistic application of doctrine to the current situation of the great majority of people and contribute to people's happiness, unquote. So this is, I guess this is what it's all about now, Your Excellency and Father. It, it's about contributing to people's happiness, doctrine thrown it, to the dogs. It's a, because again, it's a consequentialist morality. And the um, uh, idea that he is um, uh, reinforcing is, is that the, the rightness or the wrongness of something uh, has to uh, do, uh, uh, has to be in proportion to how it makes people happy, whatever happy may mean. 
that is that's the first point. And and uh, secondly, uh, it seems clear from what he says that uh, again, it's this idea of uh, paying lip service to the doctrinal principle and doing an end run. Uh, around it in, in uh, practice. That's a typical uh, modernist formulation, uh, a path that goes beyond strictness and, and, and leniency. Um, I don't know how many times I heard uh, modernist professors that I had say that, well, uh, that was the teaching maybe at one point, which, what you quote, but now we're beyond that. We've surpassed it. That's yeah, always yeah. the idea. Uh, don't forget these people believe in evolution of doctrine. Uh, they're, they're thoroughgoing modernists. Casper, by the way, was the one, if I'm not mistaken, was it Casper who who said that Anglican orders are are uh, valid? Was that Casper or was that Murphy O'Connor? Uh, a number of years ago. But Casper is the liberal's liberal and the modernist's modernist. Uh, I mean, his history is, is absolutely awful. You don't, you can't get somebody that's more left-wing than Casper. I, I thought it was Casper. Wasn't he involved in ecumenism at a, at a certain point? Yes, I, I mean, believe I, so, I, yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he, he came out with something that Anglican orders are okay. But in any case, uh, yeah, it's pure modernism. Reinterpretation of doctrine means changing the doctrine. You know, again, let's take the mask off and call it what it is. It's changing the doctrine. Did you see that English uh, was, was uh, Archbishop of Westminster? How he said, "Well, doctrine doesn't change," but then he, at, by the end of the paragraph, it says, "Well, it changes indirectly." Did you see that? Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yeah, 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 I guess yeah. all that. Yeah, uh, even the Wanderer picked up on that one. <laughs> you know, it's all just double talk and nonsense. It, it's it's all just uh, you know, just double talk and nonsense. That's the only word for it. But the the, uh, other interesting thing about uh, Casper's comment here was I think he also went on to say that, well, uh, this is what we did with ecumenism and religious liberty, uh, uh, which were condemned before, and so I don't see why we can't uh, do it with the indissolubility of marriage. Yeah. So, so it's it's just uh, it's the argument by uh, analogy. He made that, and I've seen that uh, made elsewhere. And I think we'll be hearing quite a bit about that. At least they admit that, though. Mm-hmm. See, they admit that they they contravened the condemnations with regard to ecumenism and religious liberty. Uh, so that that it is there is a change, and that's something refreshing about those liberals is that they admit that they did change the doctrine. Uh, what is, what is, I have to say, sickening about the Novus Ordo conservatives is that no matter what happens, they will nod their heads and say, nothing has changed, nothing has changed, nothing has changed. So we've spent the first hour of the program tonight here talking about the, you know, the bombshell stories coming out of the consistory and, of course, Casper's speech. And I think, for the sake of time here, folks, and Father, we've got to move on to cover some more of these these, these story topics here that we've covered from the news. And uh, moving on here to uh, the subjects of uh, faith and doctrine and dogma, uh, we we start with a story here on uh, the 21st of February, which is one day after our last Francis Watch show, uh, where uh, Bergoglio, you know, essentially comes out and says something which supposedly sounds good, and he's. Uh, 
this is something that I think the conservative, uh, the, the conservative Novus Ordos are going to say, see, your excellency father, the holy father, is defending church teaching. Bergoglio gave a homily on the 21st, uttered, and essentially he gave a verbatim denial of Catholic dogma as defined by the Council of Trent uh, in the 16th century, when, when he, he makes a speech and says, a faith that does not bear fruit in works is not faith, unquote. Now, that's fascinating because, um, you know, I sense this is one of those slippery moments where critics are going to say, now, come on, you two, you know, you know what the Pope meant. He's just saying faith without works is dead. He may not have articulated it well, but that's what he meant. And you two are twisting around to suit your sourpuss theologies because all you do you know, is look for heresy under every rock. Cut him some slack. Is that a fair opposition to this, or do they need to look more critically at this to what the Council of Trent says? Well, someone deserves slack if ordinarily they say orthodox things. So if Pius XII, for example, made a slip of the tongue and you know, said something in a way that he shouldn't and was ambiguous, you would say, well, of course the man meant the Catholic doctrine because he adheres to Catholic doctrine and all other things, and he's absolutely integral with regard to his profession of faith. Uh, but because according to rules of interpretation, you, you, you cannot give somebody slack or a good interpretation if they are, in general, unorthodox. Uh, you, get the, the, you would go the other way, that what they mean is something unorthodox. So if somebody has a, 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 an attitude toward Catholic doctrine, which is one of uh, repudiation uh, or... A devil may care, and has really no no care to conform to Catholic doctrine. Then it is perfectly reasonable to take what he says as heresy, and it would be unreasonable to give him a beneficial interpretation. That's the first thing. Secondly, it cannot really be interpreted well uh, to say that it is it is not true faith. Uh, especially in view of what Trent said and what Pius XII said, uh, it is clearly contrary to faith. Uh, it, it is, uh, and it is contrary to what he learned uh, in, in even in his Novus. Well, he, he spent some time in a traditional seminary. We have to say, I mean, uh, it, it is so well known as Luther's doctrine. Uh, it is so well known as Protestant doctrine that that faith uh, is only faith if you put it into practice. Uh, as uh, Protestants say, well, you know, if you fall back into sin, it shows that your faith wasn't really there. You know, if you've thrown yourself on the Lord and you have embraced Christ as your Savior, and then you fall away, well, then they say your faith wasn't really there. Uh, is that identification of uh, interior acts of trust uh, uh, is so typically Protestant. Faith for the Catholic is assent to truths revealed by God and proposed as such by the infallible Catholic Church. That's the definition of faith. And that can exist even if you are in the pits of sin, even if you don't do any social work among the poor, because that's what he's referring to. Uh, it, it concerns merely your assent. And that's very important, too, for the sinner, because even if he has committed a million mortal sins, if he still has that light of faith on in him, in other words, that, that there is still that connection to Christ and to the Church through faith, he has a possibility of return. Uh, 
it's something like your your electronic machines where even when you shut them off there's still a light on it's, it's still plugged in it, it has a ma- it has a, an ability to bring itself up again and so the same is true of a person who retains the faith even if he doesn't have uh, charity that is love of God because he's committed sin for him to say that to people that if you're uh, not you know if you're not doing good works you don't have faith that totally cuts them off that leads them into despair that means I have no contact with God I have nothing there's nothing left of my baptism and it's, it's you know besides being a heresy it's very uncharitable and, and can do tremendous damage it also um, reflects I think uh, Bergoglio's statement does his um, peculiar idea of, of uh, faith, essentially this, this idea of, of faith as an encounter and experience with Jesus. And we, we've heard him talk about that several times. And, and for the modernist, someone with a, a, a modernist outlook, uh, a modernist, modernist understanding of faith, it's, it's something that, that comes through experience. So you don't really have part of the experience unless you have uh, these works, so uh, therefore you don't have true faith. So it's, 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 it's tied up, I think, as, uh, as, w- as well with that. Yes, it goes back to the modernism of a certain personality called Maurice Blondel at the turn of the century, uh, who uh, came up with the philosophy, theology of action, that something is not really true for you unless you put it into action. That's, uh, that's Maurice Blondel. Uh, mm-hmm. He was a modernist. And that, it's a reflection of the same thing, that is that uh, truth is activity. Uh, it, it is not conformity of the mind to what is. It has a, a necessary connection to activity, and it's not really true for you unless you're active. And that would well, be, for those of you, I'm sorry. That ahead. would be very much in line with uh, the, uh, the thought of, thoughts of Blondell. He would have influenced the theologians that um, uh, Bergoglio eventually studied after Vatican II. So it's it's not surprising uh, to find that. I'm surprised he won't be canonized along with uh, St. JP2 and St. J23. Uh, it's coming up soon. That'll be another show. Oh, yeah. April the, tw- April the 27th. Indeed, we're yeah. getting very close to it. <laughs> well, for those of you who are just joining us, you're listening to Francis Watch on the Restoration Radio Network, sponsored by Novus Ordo Watch. Be sure to visit www.novusordowatch.org to check out the latest uh, News coming out of Bergoglio's Modernist Vatican, and you can keep up to date with all that. Some very good commentary and analysis and insight there. I'm your host, Justin Soder, and this evening I'm joined by His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida, and Father Anthony Chicada, Assistant Pastor of St. Gertrude the Great Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio. And tonight we've been discussing the, uh, the last 30 days of news, uh, particularly the consistory bombshells that came out on the topics of divorce and remarriage and sacraments for divorce and remarried. We want to remind you that Francis Watch is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. Permission can usually be very easily obtained by writing to mail at truerestoration.org. If you're listening to our show on iTunes or Stitcher, please make sure to leave some ratings and reviews. Um, this will help us uh, 
you know, it gives us a chance to help those looking for truly Catholic programming to find our programming easier, uh, more, more easily. So um, that would help us out if you would leave some ratings and reviews. So uh, kind of moving on here from this topic of experience, uh, uh, Father, we move to a, uh, a Vatican Insider story on the 22nd where the title of the headline uh, or the, the headline of the story was Jesus did not teach an ideology but a way, comma, a journey. And so we hear Francis telling the Novus Ordo Cardinals of the consistory that Jesus did not teach an ideology. Here's the quote. Quote, this is something striking about the Gospels. Jesus is often walking, and he teaches his disciples along the way. This is important. Jesus did not come to teach a philosophy, an ideology, but rather a way, a journey to be undertaken with him, and we learn the way as we go by walking, unquote. Now, something that I find very, very telling here, Your Excellency and Father, this is a little revelation from Francis that falls into the words mean things department. Look at the choice of words he uses. Jesus came to teach a way, not the way to eternal life, but a way. Did you catch that? Well, <laughs> the first part was so absurd that I didn't re- listen to the rest of it. <laughs> the, the, first of all, ideology for him means the faith, the true faith, uh, doctrine, dogma. So, you know, to say that is so absurd. Uh, let's take uh, the 16th chap- chapter of St. Mark. Those who, uh, that is the command to go and teach the gospel to the whole world, every creature, etc., and those who do not believe shall be condemned. Now, how is that not ideology? How is that merely walking? That those who do not believe shall be condemned. To someone answer that question, I mean, you know, I mean, it's so absurd to say he did not teach. Uh, and what about the whole attitude of the church in the early centuries uh, against heresy, the, the, how they, they were so sensitive to heresy uh, in the early centuries, all the doctors of the church writing against heresies. Uh, if, if Christianity is not an ideology, if it is not a doctrine and a dogma. So, I mean, but of course you're right to say it's a way that means there are many other ways, which is perfectly in accordance with Vatican II, that they, you know, the Holy Ghost does not uh, refrain from using non-Catholic religions as means of salvation. Sure. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. other uh, point is the uh, journey language, and that again is uh, uh, 60s code for uh, dogmatic evolution, that we're walking along here, and we have this particular idea at this point on uh, our journey, and that's fine and that sustains us for a while, but we're pilgrim people, and we're going to be marching on to uh, another destination and find another good thing on the way and uh, maybe discard uh, what, uh, what we had taken along with us before. So again, it's, it's, it's the idea of this evolution. I think it was Ratzinger that used the analogy of a cruise. I think it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think well, he was, cruise he was ship, talking you know, about you... doctrinal anchorages. Yeah, uh, yeah substantial, yeah. substantial anchorages. Yes, it's... where you pull into this port and you buy the trinkets here, and then you, you pull into the next port. And and uh, yeah, I mean it's it's standard modernist fare. I mean it, it's like the McDonald's menu when you pull up. I mean it it's standard fare everywhere. So there's really nothing new here. Mm-hmm. So 
we move on now to Catholic morality, uh, the headlines in Catholic morality. And this also harkens back to, um, to the, the Second Francis Watch episode last month, and it's talking about the pre-Synod survey, you know, this, this, this uh, Synod of Novus Order of Bishops, which is on tap this October. Uh, and the, the headline is, Most Reject Teaching on Contraception. I know we're all shocked, right? I mean, yeah. that's just, you know, shocking. anyway, this, this is yeah, and it's shocking, isn't it? Um, so, so this is the um, this is the story from the National Catholic Reporter, who reports on uh, the the Novus Ordo Bishop Robert Lynch uh, down here in our neck of the woods, your, uh, your Excellency in Saint yes, Petersburg. Yes. Uh, yes. As, uh, I mean that diocese. Yes. He's your. <laughs> he's he's my quote unquote bishop. That's right. <laughs> so, so the story reads here the following. He says that a a new precedent survey shows that that what people, and this is of course the people that actually remain in the Novus Ordo feud, that most regular church going Catholics in the diocese find the church's teaching on artificial contraception no longer relevant. He says, quote. On the matter of artificial contraception, the responses might be characterized by saying, that train left the station a long time ago. Catholics have made up their minds, and the Synthus Fidelium suggests that the rejection of the church teaching on this subject, even the choir, the 78% of respondents who said they attend Mass at least every Sunday and Holy Day, overwhelmingly said that most Catholics they know do not accept the church teaching on natural family planning and birth control. So, you know, this, this sort of begs the question that, oh, you know, so... What does this synod really matter about anyway? I mean, you know, they're coming out with all these things, and I think your Excellency, you spoke about this uh, in the last month. I mean, you know, they're coming up with all these things to try to get more people confused, but they don't care. No, they have no faith. These are people that lack the virtue of faith, so they have no objective norm uh, to compare their beliefs to. I mean, it's whatever they think, whether it's the clergy, whether it's the high clergy, whether it's the people. Uh, it, it's just uh, uh, whatever pleases them. That's what that Novus Ordo religion is. It's, uh, I mean, to compare it to Catholicism is absurd because it really has no relation to Catholicism. Catholicism, by its very nature, is dogmatic and and unchanging by its very nature. And the Novus Ordo is something that that uh, just. Uh, uh, changes from day to day. It, it has no anchor at all in, in any kind of objective reality. So the uh, yes, and, and this is all in Pashendi. Pashendi said that the modernists say that you should that dogma should reflect the attitudes of the people. It's right in Saint Pius X's condemnation of modernism. Uh, you know, there's nothing that is surprising to us here. It's just that they're getting more bold. I would say. I, I think that Bergoglio has brought out a uh, something that has been latent, uh, and that is uh, the uh, a, a final admission that these uh, that the the traditional teaching of the church has been abandoned or ought to be abandoned for uh, a n- completely new religion. They're just getting bolder with it, uh, more theoretical maybe. That's the only difference, but it has all been there for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the um, uh, idea that um, the people have uh, no more faith, uh, that sounds like uh, an extremely severe judgment. However, uh, when you get right down to what the uh, 
Catholic notion of faith is. Uh, the, the, there's the idea of uh, a, a adherence to what God has revealed. Uh, you really don't have uh, that idea anymore. This idea of uh, adherence to dogma, adherence to Catholic uh, doctrines. It's, it's become like a brand. You identify yourself with uh, Catholicism, with this organization called the Catholic Church. You uh, like its uh, traditions. Uh, certain of its uh, teachings maybe you understand. Uh, they appeal to you. But uh, ultimately, there's not the real Catholic sense of, of, of faith. Mm. So, uh, so moving on here, we have another story. Uh, this is sort of the, the wishy-washy, we believe nothing on birth control thing. Uh, on March the 5th, the National Catholic Reporter story, where uh, Bergoglio says that the church must take into account what is possible on birth control. And uh, the... The article speaks about how Francis views Paul VI's encyclical Humanae Vitae, and he essentially says, well, quote, it all depends on how you interpreted Humanae Vitae, Francis says in the interview. But the same Paul VI, in the end, recommended to confessors much mercy and attention to concrete situations. So this, you know, here you have again this, this, this whole mindset being reflected in everything we've talked about in the first, the first part of this show. Yes, as I said, uh, they've been doing this for decades. That was Paul VI's code word for let them use their consciences. And we have seen that. That's why 85% or whatever it is, you know, a high, high majority of people who call themselves Catholics believe in artificial birth control because they have been led down that path by the clergy since the 1960s. And so, you know, the adultery thing is, is just bringing it out of the closet, that's all. I mean, it's just uh, nothing new here. I mean, what's the difference between the pastoral approach of Bergoglio and what Paul VI says in that encyclical? And then when the French Episcopate rejected it, he, he said nothing and did nothing. You know, it, mm -hmm. it, it, this is dogmatic chaos, and it has been dogmatic chaos ever since Vatican II. And it's not going mm -hmm. to get any different. And it's just going to get worse and worse. And the Novus Ordo conservatives will have a harder and harder time saying nothing has changed. I don't know if you noticed so, that poll, but only 4% objected to Bergoglio. Right. 4%? Well, I mean, this is this is why he's on the cover of Time Magazine and Rolling Stone. I mean, he, he's, you know, he's loved by everyone because, you know, he doesn't he doesn't believe anything and doesn't require them to believe anything. So, of course, he's going to be popular. You know, and uh, the 4% that reject to it are probably the people like us that just, you know, are considered the extreme fringe lunatics. Uh, it's, it's the noble sort of conservatives who, who find him uh, objectionable and, and irritating. Uh, mm -hmm. And but it's alarming that that's the only number you're working with here. Right. That this tremendous majority love him and think he's wonderful. Now that same majority, if you were to impose the Catholic morality upon them, if you said everyone who who is using artificial birth control and who dies impenitent of that sin will go to hell forever. If that were preached from Catholic pulpits, you would see that 85% get up and walk out or just not bother to come back. 
they do not have the faith. They are delighted with Bergoglio because he is giving them a free pass to call themselves Catholic on the one hand and to deny the faith on the other. The others have done it implicitly, but Bergoglio is really handing them a document practically saying this is all right. That's why he's so popular. Uh, and and so, it, but it's Vatican too. It's it's the idea is by pleasing these people, these apostates, these people who have turned on the faith long ago in the 1960s, who were corrupted in the Catholic schools in the 1960s and 1970s, by pleasing these people, by making the religion conform to them, you're going to get them back somehow. And it isn't happening because we saw that the Francis effect was not bringing in more people. It was getting him on the front of magazines, but it is not bringing in more people, not even those people, not even the deniers of the doctrine. They are not showing up at the Novus Ordo Mass, you know, as a result of Bergoglio. Mm-hmm. It's so, another flop for, for Vatican II, that's all. So we move on here to another story. This is a sort of a sidestep away from Bergoglio for, for a moment, but, you know, being here in the United States, we, we certainly saw this headline. And this was from the, uh, really the Marquis Apostate in the United States, Cardinal Timothy Dolan, who's the Cardinal Archbishop of New York. He came out with a, uh, with a statement on the 27th of February uh, to give his two or ten cents worth on the story about the University of Missouri football star Michael Sam, who came out as a, a gay athlete and he was going to enter the NFL draft as the first openly gay player in the NFL. And Dolan said that he, quote, would not judge the athlete for his sexual orientation. And this is, I mean, this is his quote here. Good for him, Dolan said in an interview with NBC's Meet the Press, airing on Sundays. I would have no sense of judgment on him, Dolan continued. God bless you. I don't think, look, the same Bible that tells us, that teaches us well about the virtues of chastity and the virtue of fidelity in marriage, also tells us not to judge people. So I would say, bravo. I don't even know. Well, I mean, Your Excellency, I don't even know what to say to this. I mean, well, I'm Rarate, just somebody on Rarate said he is judging him because he's making a judgment that it's it's okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that on, on Rarate. That I forget who said it, but that he is making a judgment. <laughs> that he's approving of it. The kind of judgments that Bergoglio and company are against is uh, negative judgments that say that someone is is uh, guilty of something that objectively is a sin. But uh, you know, bravo and good on you. Uh, you know that uh, that's great as 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 far as judgment goes. Uh, what uh, you know, if we uh, say for a moment that this person is not engaging in sins, if we just say that he has announced that he has this disorder, uh, how could you say bravo to that? This, this disorder, it would be like if somebody said, uh, you know, I have, uh, you know, I, I'm suffering from uh, bipolar disorder or uh, schizophrenia or something. If, if someone were to say that, uh, you wouldn't say bravo, you would say, well, you know, that that's you know, you have a serious affliction, and uh, I'll pray for you. Uh, that, that's the only reaction that you could have to such a thing. And he should have said, 
that this is a, a particularly bad affliction because it it inclines somebody to commit very serious sins. It's not like uh, you know just a disease or a, it it is it inclines somebody to commit very serious sins. So that you know you would feel sorry for such a person, and then you would have to say such a person with such an inclination would have to lead a life of of the chastity of an angel uh, because of that type of inclination. That is if we exclude the idea of anyone's, uh, you know, whatever person uh, is uh, actually committing sins. But usually when people announce that, they are saying effectively, uh, you, know, I'm, you know, usually what is understood is that they are engaging in this sort of thing. And so for him to say that, for Cardinal Dolan to say that, it is effectively giving approval to sins against nature and inclination to sins against nature. I mean, that, this is, again, this is so hardcore. How could anybody say that? How could anyone with the Catholic faith rejoice at such an announcement, it, it would it would just you would say uh, this is a terrible tragedy. That's the only word you could use for it. It's a terrible tragedy. We are very sorry to hear such a thing. Uh, I mean, but to uh, but again, it goes back to the fact that there's no objective morality. The the Novus Ordo was going to abandon all of the traditional teaching concerning uh, same sex marriage and and homosexual activity, they're going to abandon all of that uh, in the name of subjectivism, that, that there, real, there is no objective morality. And so if somebody says, I, I am doing this, that, or the other thing, I'm inclined to this, that, or the other thing, uh, well, so bravo, you know, that, that, that's, that's your conscience, that's, your, that's what makes you feel good. It's all from the same poison source. And that is the, the abandonment of precisely what the Catholic Church is by its essence, and that is the guardian of truth, an objective truth. And, and this, this truth is what has built up Catholicism for all of these centuries, and it is being torn down in a matter of, a matter of, uh, matter of decades uh, by these modernists. And, and there's soon going to be just nothing left. I mean, yeah. there might be people in churches, but they're they're not Catholics. <laughs> they're not identifiable yeah. with Catholicism of times past. Mm-hmm. Well, the the last story topic here that we have in this category, uh, and this one here is so scandalous and so beneath the pale. And I'm gonna I'm gonna let Your Excellency respond to this one first, and I'm gonna get Father. Father's weigh in on this as well, and that was a story on the 6th of March. It was a report from the Associated Press that revealed that Francis openly said that he decided that in the heat of the moment that he would steal the cross from his dead confessor's rosary from off the body in the casket. And here's how the story goes. On March the 6th, Francis revealed in a meeting with priests from the Diocese of Rome that many years ago, when he went to pray at the open casket of his confessor in Buenos Aires, he forcibly removed the little cross from the rosary with which the priest was to be buried and walked away with it. Give me half your mercy, were the words he uttered as he took the item. There had, 
there had come to his mind, quote, the thief we all have inside of ourselves, unquote, Francis explained, adding that he still has the cross in his possession and keeps it on his person in a little pouch underneath his cassock even today. Your Excellency? Well, you know, I would say probably that was a venial sin uh, on his part, uh, you know, uh, and he probably did it uh, out of, uh, you know, a certain sentimentality. If that's all he has done, you know, I'm not too concerned. But it does show uh, the fact that he would talk about it and make light of it is serious. Uh, He should... uh, and, you know, the thief that is in all of us, well, sir, speak for yourself. I haven't ever stolen anything from anybody. And I never had an inclination to steal anything from anybody. Uh, you know, it, the whole attitude is one of uh, flippant, uh, you know, it's corruption. That's the, those are the two things that come to my mind, that, that you would speak about that in such a way. As, as, especially uh, someone in his position. Uh, putative position, uh, because what are people uh, going to think? And it's uh, what what occurred to me right away is that it's uh, uh, as Bishop Sandborn said. Yeah, it may be something that's that's venial in itself, but uh, the scandal that you give, in the sense of an example to uh, do something similar, is really pretty bad, because. Uh, the example I would uh, give would be a kid who's caught stealing, and his father tells him to give it back, and the kid says that, well, you know, the Pope didn't give back what he took. You know, yeah. why should I have to give it back? So it, yeah. it, 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 uh, on a global scale, it uh, conveys something that's, that's truly scandalous and truly wrong. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so... Okay, so moving on now, it, it was kind of a quiet month in the uh, in the traditionalism department here at Bergoglio, probably because there was he was too too preoccupied with the uh, the consistory and all the hoopla surrounding that. However, there was a big news break on Rite Chile earlier this month on the third of March about the Novus Ordo Bishop Michael Olson of the Fort Worth Diocese, that's that's Texas. Uh, he's the second youngest uh, Nova Sordo bishop in the United States, and he decided to completely ban the saying of the traditional Latin mass at Fisher Moore College, quote, for the sake of the souls, unquote, of those wanting to attend the old mass. Now, this isn't an accident, because Fisher Moore is, uh, to my knowledge, Fisher Moore has prided itself on being a very, uh, what would you call it, extraordinary form college. And now, mm-hmm. you know, and now they receive the Franciscans of the Immaculate Treatment. So, so Father, it sounds to me like Samorum Pontificum is alive and well, doesn't it? Well, and uh, what what's going on here is, I think the bishop of uh, the area figured out that this is the uh, new party line. You know, he took seriously Francis's different uh, statements and different. Uh, declarations, and he looked at the example of the Franciscans of the Immaculate, who had their chops busted, and uh, he uh, then looked at the situation in his own backyard and decided that uh, he would do something similar to uh, follow the follow the new line, as it were, to to make an example of them. So the people involved obviously regarded it as uh, you know quite a. 
uh, quite a uh, tragedy. But I have the feeling that we're going to be seeing more of that. I think they had exclusively the so-called extraordinary form. Mm-hmm. That's what I mm-hmm. read. They, they never had, or you know, that was it just was not found there. And I heard they're not having anything right now. Yeah. And you know, this was on the heels, I think, of some scandal over somebody. Uh, they had a financial problem, I think, or I, I, I'm not sure about it, but uh, there was a financial, big financial problem, and and you know, this was just icing on the cake for them. They managed to pull themselves out of a financial problem. And and then the this new bishop practically as his first act uh, virtually shuts them down. I mean, it effectively shuts down at least what they're doing or what they're trying to do. They'll have to redefine themselves and reinvent themselves with excuse me with the Novus Ordo. Uh, They've gotten and, their uh, support precisely because they had the old mass, yes, uh, right from people in the Novus Ordo institution. And uh, now they've, they've had that uh, pulled out from under them. Yes. It just shows the yeah. hatred. There's a new spirit of hatred. And just another, talk about a, a little incident. I don't know if you saw that on YouTube. But uh, 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 Mr. B was coming out of the um, Santa Marta, and there were two little altar boys in, in oh, very traditional outfits. And and one of them had his hands folded very attentively, uh, and and beautifully, uh, and uh, in the traditional way, it was pointing up and all. And Bergoglio stopped, you know, as he's coming out, and and says, "What are your hands glued together?" And purposely pulled his hands apart. Now that's a tiny incident, but it is very indicative of the hatred in Bergoglio's soul. The hatred. Because he saw that as pre-Vatican II, and he was going to ban that from his sight. Now, in, in a situation like that, I mean, I, just in our own situation, when you see certain things going on in, in ceremonies and whatnot, you, you just sort of pass over them. You don't, if you see somebody doing something wrong or that bothers you, you, you don't stop everything and, and you know, uh, especially if it's minor, uh, and, and say something about it because it's contrary to your your position. You, you, you shouldn't be that petty, so to speak. You know, you have mm-hmm. to get through it. And but for him to do that tells me that he has a deep, deep hatred for the the traditional mass, everything pre-Vatican II, which we knew already. But that incident, I think. Is, says it even more, and that it tells us that the hatred is even deeper than what we thought. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, for our listeners, I'll find the YouTube clip of that, and I'll put it in the show notes on uh, RestorationRadioNetwork.com so you can click on it and see it. I remember seeing that when it first came out, and you're right, Your Excellency. I mean, it was a, he was walking right by, and a stop determination says, you know, what are your hands glued together? I mean, it was, it was mm-hmm. so, I mean, he, he stopped everything he was doing to go to that, so you're absolutely right about that. And that um, poor boy will be scarred for the rest of his life by that incident. That, absolutely. That the so-called Holy Father told him not to do that when he was doing something perfectly correct. He will be scarred by that. Mm-hmm. Yes, he will. He will remember that for the rest of his life. Yeah, we cannot have outward acts of piety. No, uh, no, goodness, no. 
Okay, so, so now we move on to the uh, the anti-conservative category. But before we do, I want to remind listeners that you're listening to Francis Watch on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Justin Soder, and I'm joined this evening by His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida, as well as Father Anthony Chicada, Assistant Pastor of St. Ruth of the Great Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio. And today we've been covering the uh, Bergoglio Consistory and also some of the other news headlines uh, that have come out the last 30 days since our last show on February the 20th. Okay, so now moving on to uh, the the anti-conservative here. Uh, This is one of the more obscene headlines from Bergoglio in the last month. This was on the Vatican Insider posted on February the 27th where he was addressing uh, the congregation of Novus Ordo bishops. Bergoglio was explaining in his personal speech to them what type of bishops he wants, uh, who uh, his men are, and what he doesn't want. And the story, read, uh, the story headline reads this, Bishops mustn't be apologists slash crusaders. And here's his quote. Quote, Men who are guardians of doctrine, not so as to measure how far the world is from doctrinal truth, but in order to fascinate the world with the beauty of love, with the freedom offered by the gospel, The church does not need apologists for her causes or crusaders for her battles, but humble and trusting sowers of truth who know that it is always given to them anew and trust in its power. Men who are patient men, as they know that the weeds will never fill the field. Don't fight those who promote error or immorality in modern society, and don't try to convert them. Unquote. So, Your Excellency, I... I guess he's saying he doesn't want you to be a guardian of doctrine anymore. I mean, you know, so it, it's uh, well, uh, it's pretty clear here. I, I would say at least it's refreshing that the modernists are are showing themselves. Mm-hmm. I would say at least that. I mean, this is obviously a total abandonment of the church's mission to teach, to rule, and sanctify the faithful, to preach the gospel, to to answer heretics, as Saint Paul says, we must do. Uh, whether in season or out of season, uh, this is this is the history of the church. the 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 church has always been this, and now they are are abandoning the the very uh, essential role of the Catholic Church, which is to protect its doctrine and the first role. Because if if the Catholic Church does not profess true doctrine and is not in conformity with the teaching of Christ and, and Revelation. Everything else it does is vitiated. It's worthless because the, the, it all rests on the edifice of the faith. If it breaks the faith, the apostolic faith, if it breaks from that, it becomes a worthless, phony institution. And, and you know, I'm just, I think it's refreshing to me that these heretics are finally declaring themselves to be what they are. Again, what is very disappointing to me is that the Novus Ordo conservatives will not see it, will not wake up and see what they're facing, but are still trying to salvage something in these people and are still making believe that these people are Roman Catholics. Mm-hmm. To the, the uh, quote really uh, pulls the, the rug again out from the Novus Ordo conservatives um, in the United States and, and I'm sure elsewhere, these men are always urging that uh, you know the, the bishops uh, attack uh, this problem in society and attack that problem and, and uh, denounce this sin and, and that error and so on. And the message that Bergoglio is giving is, is very clear that uh, they should not do that. They, they shouldn't be crusaders. 
so it's a form of contradiction. In other words, he's he is preaching a doctrine. He is giving them an instruction. He is contradicting himself like every skeptic does. You see, you can't be this, you must be that. So he's giving them just a new ideology and a new set of commandments, that's all. So he, he, he contradicts himself. Well, this is, uh, this is sort of an extension of his uh, statement late last year that uh, you know, proselytism is solemn nonsense. That's sort of reflective in this, you know, don't, don't try to convert them. I mean, you know, when has the mm-hmm. Catholic Church ever said we're not trying to convert anybody before Vatican II? I mean, don't try to convert them. Those who promote error or immorality, don't try to convert them. That's, that's just, right. I mean, you're right, the mask is coming off. It really yeah. is. Yeah. We don't have to take it's it so, off anymore. It's, it's coming yeah, off. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the little elastic on the back has, has sort of worn out and is breaking. It, yeah, it's just sliding years. down his face. <laughs> so, okay, so now we move on to a topic that I want Father Chikata to address because he spent some time addressing this. And, uh, Father, this is the topic that uh, the story broke on, on the 20th of February, which is actually the date of our last Francis watch. And our call screener was texting me during the show saying, look at this, look at this. But because we were tight on time, I didn't bring it up. And that was this most ridiculous, sentimental sappy ecumenical lunacy that Bergoglio put out when he was addressing this Pentecostal evangelical preacher named Tony Palmer, who calls himself a bishop. Now, Tony Palmer is not as much of a bishop as I am, okay? Now, Bergoglio not only addresses him as such, but calls him his brother bishop, and proceeds to cut a seven-minute video and give the farm away, throwing doctrine once again to the dogs. Now, Father, you know, I watched this video, and it's just, it's just embarrassing. Uh, and you wrote a video called, or excuse me, uh, you wrote an article called Mr. Bergoglio's Neighborhood. You want to talk about that and the, the language of the heart? Oh, that was funny. Yeah, yeah that's right. It, uh, I don't know if people are old enough to remember this, but there was a uh, uh, kid show on PBS called Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And uh, there's this, this uh, Presbyterian minister who had this sort of likable way about him. And uh, he sort of... Um, push the idea of like generic niceness and and cooperating with other children but there's no religious dogma uh, involved and that's all i could think of when i watched this uh video i mean virtually the only thing missing was the sweater uh he uh cut this uh um uh made this film or or uh, uh gave a little uh discourse which this um uh, the Protestant uh, bishop uh, recorded and uh, hit different themes such as, well, we're going to speak the language of the heart here. He referred to this, this guy as, uh, as Brother Bishop. Uh, it was addressed to a, a Pentecostal group, Pentecostal group, um, and uh, he, was, he talked about how groups like this come together to receive the Spirit. We can see God is working this way all over the world. Uh, then he uh, uh, spoke of, of, of them, and by extension, the putative Catholic Church, as uh, families that come together, uh, who, families who are in the same neighborhood. And that uh, we've, we have these, these misunderstandings that have, have divided us, and there's a long road of sins that we, where we, we all share the blame for. Uh, we have diverse uh, traditions. Uh, you have your traditions. Uh, we have ours, but we have to encounter each other's brothers. Then he concludes by saying, let's give each other a spiritual hug. 
and I ask you to bless me, and I bless you. From brother to brother, I embrace you. So this was the uh, tone of it, and I found it uh, very interesting because we have a real unfiltered Bergoglio here. He's not working from a script, and we're not getting it. Um, uh, we're not getting it from Vatican Information Service or VIS. This is just Bergoglio talking. And, uh, I mean, it really speaks volumes about his, uh, uh, his ideas. This, this idea of, he talks about the language of, of heart. Uh, and what we have here, again, is, is this, this personal experience that he's, he's talking about. And it's the opposite of the Catholic understanding of faith, uh, where we have this, the, the adherence of the, the intellect to what God's revealed. So, uh, so we have that, and then the idea that he is uh, addressing uh, someone who is not um, either a priest or a bishop, and who is a heretic, is my brother bishop. Uh, you know, it's it's crazy. It it uh, diminishes the uh, papacy, which is also part of, of Bergoglio's program, uh, by putting himself on the same level. And then uh, it gives this guy some legitimacy as, as a brother bishop. And then the the uh, other uh, the crazy points, uh, the group that he's talking to uh, is uh, an outfit run by a man named uh, Kenneth Copeland. And he, he is a, a television preacher, a television uh, minister, and it's a Pentecostal ministry. They, they speak in tongues and, and jabber on. But, you know, we're supposed to see in this, from what Bergoglio says, God working all over the world. And they're also the, the difference between Catholics and the uh, uh, Pentecostal followers of, of Copeland is that we're uh, simply different families with, different traditions, and, and uh, uh, you've sinned, and, and uh, we've sinned, and this separates us, and this is something that's uh, very unfortunate. So in, uh, you know, a couple of hundred words, uh, unscripted words, uh, he managed to give everything away. In other words, give the store away as, as in terms of, of Catholic ecclesiology, uh, the papacy, uh, the distinction between uh, heretics and, and Catholics. And after this, the, there's, there's absolutely nothing left. I mean, if, if you take these uh, principles at their face value, uh, and certainly if you take them to their logical conclusions. So it was a, a, uh, a really unbelievable uh, performance. I mean, my jaw dropped when I first saw it. I, I couldn't believe it. I really couldn't. But I experienced it, so I guess he would say that I believed it. So, One of the uh, Argentinian priests that we have here said it, the video was so bizarre it sounded as if he were drunk. And then a Novus Ordo priest said to me that uh, that he questioned Bergoglio's state of mind. He said he he says so many bizarre things, and then he says things and retracts things and says them you know, that that the that you know he wonders about his state of mind. Yeah, he so, was, I don't know. I mean, yeah. whatever that's worth. But I really don't think that there's any question about either his sobriety or his state of mind. 
I think that he was speaking from his faithless heart, and uh, this is what he really believes that there is no uh, that there is no objective dogma, and uh, everything he said on, on that uh, little video was uh, exactly what he thinks, and it's very consistent with what he thinks. Yes. Yeah, don't you find it fascinating? You know, he didn't send mutual blessings and hugs to the Franciscans of the Immaculate. Yeah, you know? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but uh, evil. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, those people don't get it. Uh, but you know, the Protestants. You know, there's been an interesting. Uh, there's been an interesting reaction to this. The Protestants have have jumped out and started pointing out Bergoglio's errors. There was a there was a blog article on uh, thetruthwinds.com entitled Pope Francis and the Emerging One World Religion. So, you know, they're seeing through this. You know, they're seeing through this nonsense uh, because they see him doing the same thing like in talking about, oh, well, you know, make sure, you know, make sure that, um, you know, the Muslims, uh, you know, share their faith in the Koran and on and on and on. So, I, you know, I think this, this isn't going over well with them. It's going over far better with the pew sitters in the Novus Ordo than it is with the, with the Protestants. Well, the Protestants probably still believe in God. I think that's probably the difference. <laughs> yes, very there, there was actually a, um, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but there, there's a Lutheran satire channel that um, several months ago uh, had, a, uh, had an animated cartoon uh, of uh, uh, Bergoglio uh, making these the, the different bizarre statements he had made up until that point, and then had the voice of someone who was supposedly a Vatican uh, commentator coming on and, and correcting uh, and retracting what Bergoglio said. And, uh, I mean, it was very, uh, while it was funny, uh, there was a lot of good insight there because they picked up on that. They picked up on that. They uh, had him speaking... Uh, English is sort of a hippie type of delivery or accent, but uh, it, it was actually his words. So, I mean, uh, people on the outside can uh, definitely see something uh, like this, can see the contradictions. Mm-hmm. Father, uh, would you like to take the next one here? Uh, this is a this kind of falls in the miscellaneous category here of these topics, but it does bear mention on the show because it's, it's just a further reinforcement on, on where Bergoglio is going and what um, what his whole position is here on the, the sacred liturgy, if you even want to call them sort of the sacred liturgy. But anyway, there was a story on Pray Tell blog that came out on the 21st of February. Do you want to talk about that, where Bergoglio praised the Vatican II Constitution, Sacrosanctum Concilium? Sure. Uh, it was, um, uh, he was called upon to make some statements the 50th anniversary of uh, Sacrosanctum Concilium, which is the constitution on the sacred liturgy, which is the first document that that uh, Vatican II uh, uh, passed and uh, approved. So, uh, among other things, he said uh, the following: He said, uh, "Liturgy detached from spiritual worship would risk becoming empty, declining from its Christian originality to a generic sacred sense, almost magical, and a hollow aestheticism." Uh, as an action of Christ, liturgy has an inner impulse to be transformed in the sentiments of Christ. And in this dynamism, all reality is transfigured. 
uh, to our gratitude to God for what has been possible to achieve, he said, uh, it's necessary to unite a renewed willingness to go ahead on the path indicated by the Council Fathers, as there remains much to be done for a correct and complete assimilation of the Constitution of the Holy Liturgy on the part of baptized and ecclesial communities. So we're, we're in the world of code again. Uh, by uh, aestheticism, uh, empty aestheticism, he is taking a, a shot at the uh, ornate Ratzinger style of doing the Novus Ordo, of dressing it up with all these uh, traditional accoutrements. Then, by speaking of dynamism and impulse, uh, what we get there uh, is more modernist code about uh, the, the internal impulse and, and uh, experience. And then, when he speaks about assimilation, the that's code in uh, liturgy speak for uh, enculturation. In other words, adapting liturgies to the what they would call the genius of uh, different cultures. And you saw uh, you saw them doing that in Brazil, I think, on, on the beach there. Uh, but the. Uh, so this is this is more more of the same in the way of of, of code that we're not going to uh, go uh, the way that that Ratzinger was going with this this uh, dressing up of of uh, the new worship in the old accoutrements, but we're going to go in a different direction. So uh, this is uh, this is what he's he's preaching on this point. He probably doesn't think about liturgy very much. Uh, probably has very few ideas about it except he knows what he doesn't like and he certainly doesn't like the traditional mass or anything that uh, is uh, related to it so uh, here he's he's tracing out where we're going to go it's the same old story of more Vatican II mm-hmm. uh, just, uh, another, another shot of Vatican II uh, I want to take just one quick moment here. We're coming up on the top of the hour, and your Excellency Father, if we can just beg maybe maybe 15 more minutes of your time after the top of the hour to finish the show, we have a few more stories to get to. But I wanted to remind our listeners that our live feed will cut at the top of the hour, uh, at the two-hour mark. Um, those of you who are on hold, we do have one caller that we want to get to for his Excellency and Father to, to answer some questions. Uh, you will be able to hear the show if you're on with us, but if you're listening live, you'll be able to hear it probably about five minutes after the show uh, um, spools to our RSS feed, and you can go in later on, download it, and fast forward to about the two-hour mark and hear the hear the remainder of the show. So just, uh, you know, you'll be able to hear the show. Don't worry. All right, so let's move on to the next topic here, uh, this, this news story, Father, that came out about uh, Bergoglio saying, well, we have to fight against any discrimination. And this again is when he was um, he was speaking to the cardinals at the, uh, the I believe this was at the uh, the consistory where he he he's speaking again about uh, you know what he's wanting and the, and the ideology he wants and he says uh, uh, he says he then shifted the focus abroad stressing the duty of the new cardinals and the entire church to support quote all Christians suffering from discrimination and persecution. Francis also went out of his way to broaden his appeal to include every man, woman, excuse me, every man and woman suffering injustice on account of their religious convictions. We have to fight any discrimination. Telling the cardinals to be peacemakers, he concluded by asking for peace and reconciliation 
for those peoples presently experiencing violence, exclusion, and war. And again, he's talking about this word exclusion. You're actually saying that's a code word, isn't it? What does he mean by exclusion? It's it's the document on religious liberty, uh, you know, warmed over in the microwave. That's all. I mean that that the, the uh, that document says that no one should be coerced to act against his conscience in matters religious. Well, again, I would say, well, what about those people in the airplanes driving them toward toward the towers in New York? I mean, they were acting in a, you know in accordance with their conscience. They thought they were doing the will of Allah. And uh, they should not be coerced uh, to not do that. You know, it, it's an absurd statement. Uh, the the only thing that has rights is the is the truth. And people who are doing something wrong, whether it's for religious reason or not, should be coerced not to do it. I mean, that's just common sense. Uh, and uh, look what he did with, with the Immaculata people. He didn't respect their conscience very much. He coerced them in, in spades. You know, he he made life miserable for them, and he excluded them, and and did horrible things to them. They were just following their conscience. So he's a hypocrite. He's a Pharisaic hypocrite. In addition uh, to that, uh, I. Uh, kind of took the quote in this direction that uh, the exclusion and the discrimination these these were words that he actually threw into his his speech that weren't part of the written text but the reporter picked them up uh, and uh, these are the uh, code words in a secular society for uh, the the uh, program of uh, the approval of homosexual rights the LGBT, UVWXYZ, uh, the, 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 their, their uh, rights program. And uh, you know, this is something that you, you see in secular discourse all the time, that you can't exclude these people, they can't be discriminated against. So we have to fight against any uh, discrimination. And I would see that in, in um, light of... of uh, uh, his other statement about civil unions uh, that uh, we we have to look at the we have to look at individual cases uh, that was something uh, another statement he made over the uh, past couple of months so he's he's uh, uh, floating these uh, secular ideas out there with the um, uh, understanding that uh, people will get the code. Mm-hmm. And people do and they get do. the code. They yeah. do. They understand. What was there? Was somebody on one of those talk shows that say, "I really like this pope. He uses bad language. He, you know, he's in favor of gays and and uh, yeah, all sorts of things that that he understood from Bergoglio's statements. And even the message is is very clear to the the people of the modern world that I'm with you." You know, this was, uh, you know, he's making a joke about his slip where he used a, a, an Italian word that was should not be used. We won't hold that against him. But the, you know, the the whole, uh, the comment was that this person is somebody I really like because he is conforming really to my own image. And you can't say that um, Bergoglio is being misinterpreted. Because uh, he did not live uh, 
under uh, a, a rock down in the bottom of Argentina in Patagonia somewhere. Uh, he was familiar with the way that uh, modern secular society operates, and uh, he uh, knows how they use language. And uh, so uh, he knows the kind of uh, uh, impression and conclusion that people are going to take away from uh, his words, and that's why he speaks them. So it's not a question of, of him uh, uh, being someone who is um, uh, naive uh, and subject, therefore, to uh, misinterpretation. Mm -hmm. So the, you know, the next story that we have here, and we touched on this a, just a little bit earlier, was about this uh, in the Francis effect, which uh, Pew released a new poll which came out with, and uh, some significant statistics of uh, thinking of the man in the Nova Story of Pew, 68% of Catholics think, think that Francis is a major change for the better, and 77% of Catholics support allowing the use of contraception. So we've, you know, we've, we've talked about these numbers, but I think it's important to talk about this story because here's the reference. It's, you know, it's a Pew poll. It just came out, and these are the most current as of March the 6th. So, Father, uh, you know, well, my my first reaction was that well, Catholics really like Bergoglio, but he's still not as popular as contraception. So, uh, you know, he really has to work to get his numbers up a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, t uh, to give uh, contraception some some uh, competition. Yeah. Right. Give him some time. Uh, give him some time. But when you see uh, something like this, the the Pew polls are are always very interesting uh, when they uh, speak of, of what Catholics think. Uh, it really confirms what we've been saying for years about the effects of 50 years of Vatican II, that mm -hmm. uh, it, it uh, destroyed the Catholic faith. And there are statistics, you know, statistics to prove it. Uh, everyone, all modernists love sociology, because it gives you, I guess, the census fidelium, uh, the uh, idea of, of, of what the people are thinking. So here's the proof for it. Here's the proof for the effect of Vatican II. Mm -hmm. And the next story that we have here, we, we, we also touched on this very briefly a few minutes ago, was uh, we'll, you know, we'll have, uh, according to, uh, this is a, a Chiesa Espresso uh, Republica story. This is... Um, it's an Italian newspaper um, talking about talking about the six new things to be canonized, quote unquote, outside the rules. Um, it's certainly talking about uh, you know, John the Twenty Third and not not having a miracle. In fact, there was a headline just the other day. I we didn't link to it in the, in the show plan here, but uh, somebody came out and said, I can't remember who it was in the Vatican, which said, beyond a shadow of a doubt, there is no miracle with John the Twenty Third's body. Did either of you hear that? No, I didn't. No, no. Mm -hmm. It demonstrates yeah. once again how hard it is to keep up with things. <laughs> oh, absolutely. absolutely. I think it was so, either John Paul II. Somebody said it was either Bergoglio or John Paul II who said his whole life was a miracle. Oh, now well, there could that, be some funny things said about that, but uh, again, I'll, I'll hold we'll back, we'll but. take a pass. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, I think it's safe to say we'll be doing a show on the uh, the JP2 quote unquote canonization coming up here soon. So oh, uh, just you uh, know, stay tuned. Stay tuned for that one. Um, 
And the last but story this in the is, back um, here. Uh, 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 to get to the specific issue that the story raised, uh, there is a, a type of procedure called an equivalent uh, canonization, which uh, apparently uh, popes had, had, had used now and again in, in uh, the past, something outside of the regular procedure. But what Bergoglio did in just a, co- a couple of, of months, less than a year, that he canonized six people using this particular procedure.